What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing how good will Texas A&M football be this upcoming college football season? Are they overrated? Could the Jacksonville Jaguars go from worst to first in the AFC South? Does Baker Mayfield make the Seattle Seahawks a playoff team? And is Greg Roman holding back the Baltimore Ravens offense? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media pages. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. Lastly, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. Texas A&M is one of those teams that going into this season, you either love them or you think that they are extremely overrated. Now, I did a poll on the channel a couple of days ago. And I asked you guys, do you feel that Jimbo Fisher is the most overrated coach in college football? And over 66% of you guys said yes on 400 votes. Now, there were a couple of people who commented and said that they don't understand why a lot of people feel he's overrated. But... For the people who don't really follow college football that deeply, you kind of got to understand something. When it comes to Jimbo Fisher, right, he's tagged as this phenomenal offensive mind. He's supposed to be this expert quarterback guru. But outside of Jameis Winston, he hasn't really had a quarterback that's been all that great. Now, Kellen Mond was very good. And I'm not going to disrespect Kellen Mond. I, I was a big fan of Kellen Mond. I think he had a really good career. However, even though he was very good, he wasn't great. And if you're trying to win in this behemoth of a division that is the SEC West, you need great quarterback play. And not only do you need great quarterback play, but you need it consistently. And another knock that people have on Jimbo Fisher is the fact that His offenses, despite the fact that he's labeled as this great offensive-minded coach, his offenses aren't really nothing special. They're pretty okay. They're decent. His play calling is okay, but it's not great. It's not Lincoln Riley. It's not Lane Kiffin. Heck, if you want to go that far... I would say that Dan Mullen was a more innovative offensive mind than what Jimbo Fisher is. And the only thing with Dan Mullen is that he couldn't really recruit all that well. So for Jimbo Fisher, his offenses are pretty basic to say the least. And last year, you had injuries to your starting quarterback who was supposed to be Haynes King. So you end up having to start Zal Calzada, and he was okay. He was at least better than what I expected. But at the same time, when you're trying to win in this division, you need great, consistent quarterback play every single week, and you didn't get that out of Zal Calzada. He did have a couple of games that he played really well, especially against Alabama when they put off that upset. The dude balled. He played his heart out, but he also had some inconsistent performances as well. So that makes this quarterback battle and this decision by Jimbo Fisher really important. Now, the quarterback battle is between three quarterbacks. 
You have Connor Wingman, who is a talented five-star QB coming out of the 2022 recruiting class. He was the second-rated quarterback coming out of that class last year. He has a really good arm. He also has a quick release, and he is a pretty good athlete. Now, we aren't really talking about him as much as Max Johnson and Haynes King because we think that he's more of the quarterback in the future. So the main two guys that we expect this battle to come down to is Haynes King, who was supposed to be the starting quarterback for AM last year, but he got injured. Then you have Max Johnson, who is a LSU transfer. And Max Johnson started for LSU last year. And I thought that he played pretty well. Every time I saw him play, I was pretty impressed. Now, when you look at Max Johnson, he currently is the favorite at the moment. The spring game didn't really tell us all that much about who really was ahead in the quarterback battle. Because first of all, you had 20 to 30 mile power wind gusts. So it's kind of hard to throw the football downfield. And even then, when you were able to get rid of the wind gusts for some time, for a couple of minutes, you still didn't really like what you saw out of quarterback if you were Jimbo Fisher enough to give you enough confidence to name a starter at that point. So this quarterback battle is dragging on into fall camp. And it's really important that Jimbo Fisher gets this decision right. Because if you're going to be able to win in the SEC West, you need great quarterback play on a week-to-week basis. Now, if you were to ask me, JT, who do you think is going to be the starter? I'm going to go with Max Johnson. And the reason why I'm going to go with Max Johnson is because he's already battle-tested. He was pretty solid for LSU last year. Haynes King, I don't really know what to expect out of Haynes King. But if Haynes King starts, then I probably would still have a good amount of confidence in him because if he's good enough to start over Max Johnson, somebody who started last year, then I think he has to be pretty freaking good. But the main question is going to come down to how great are these quarterbacks going to be able to be in this Jimbo Fisher offense? Because this Jimbo Fisher offense hasn't really been anything special. It's pretty much been a lot of bubble screens, some slants there, some curls. You don't really see a lot of explosive plays down the field. And on top of that, this offense was not good in third down situations. They were 82nd in college football on third down conversion percentage. And they were not all that great inside of the red zone. So if you're going to be a championship caliber football team, you have to be able to sustain drives and be efficient. And part of being an efficient offense is being able to keep the chains moving in third down situations and then being able to make sure that you score touchdowns inside of the red zone. Now, you can say, JT, you know, we had some injuries. We had Zach Calzada at quarterback. Okay, I can understand that. But at the same time, you have Jimbo Fisher, who's supposed to be this guru on offense. He should be able to elevate every single quarterback that he has. But I understand talent does play a large factor in the college football. So now, for Jimbo Fisher, I really feel there's not really too many more excuses that you can make for him at this point. Okay, at this point, you need to pick a quarterback, and he has to be able to come in right away and play very well. Now, the supporting cast that AM has is pretty solid. At running back, you lost Isaiah Spiller, who is now in the NFL with the LA Chargers, but you have A-Chain. And I'm really excited about A-Chain because 
I think he's the fastest player in college football. This guy has some wills. They say speed kills, and literally speed killed for him a lot last season. And he had 130 carries, 910 rushing yards, nine touchdowns. And you know how many yards per carry he averaged? Seven. That pretty much means that he averaged a first down every two times that he carried the football. And he also was a little bit of a factor in the passing game. You also have Amari Daniels. Then at wide receiver, you have Anaya Smith, who should become one of the best wide receivers in this conference because how electric he is after the catch. He also has some versatility that he can play a little bit of running back as well. We call that the wide back in the NFL. Then you have true freshman wide receiver Evan Stewart, who a lot of AM fans and a lot of people in the college football community are really excited about what he brings to AM's offense. He was the 11th best player nationally, the second best wide receiver coming out of that 2022 class. He's super fluid. He gets in and out of breaks really smooth, really fast. He has elite speed. And he should provide a boost to this AM offense right away. So we talk about Luther Burden with Missouri and how big of an impact he's going to have with them. I think that Evan Stewart is also going to have that kind of impact on this AM offense because this was an AM offense that lacked a lot of explosiveness on offense. So for Evan Stewart, I expect him to have a pretty big role right away for Texas AM. The tight end position, you lost Jalen Waldemeyer, but you should be pretty set there. You got Max Wright, Blake Smith. They're pretty good. The offensive line should be really solid as well, especially when it comes to the offensive guard playing what you have on the interior there. So on defense, you have some concerns a little bit. And mainly, I've been hearing a lot of people say, man, JT, man, Texas A&M is overrated for one because their defensive line, they lost a couple of starters there. I understand that. But at this point, AM as a program doesn't need to rebuild. They just reload. They lose great players and they bring great players right back in to replace them. That's the kind of program that AM is at in this point of Jimbo Fisher's tenure. When you look at the secondary, I think this potentially could be one of the best secondaries in all of college football. You have two really good safeties, Damani Richardson, Antonio Johnson at cornerback. You have Tyreek Chappelle or Chappelle or you have Jalen Jones there. Now, either or, both of those guys are really phenomenal. It's kind of a coin flip on who you think is the better cornerback, but I think both of those guys are pretty good. Now, when you look at this schedule, Anum has a really tough schedule this season. You play Sam Houston, Appalachian State, those should be gimmies. Then you play Miami, and this is where things get really interesting for Anum. This is where we are really going to find out if the hype for Anum is real. Okay, because Miami is going to be a really good football team. And most Anum fans, I think, are looking at that Miami game and they're they're kind of just scoffing at it. They're saying, you know, it's Miami. Well, this is a Miami team that has a really good quarterback and Tyler Van Dyke. And you also have Mario Cristobal as your head coach, and you have Josh Gaddis as your offensive coordinator. So you have a really good coaching staff, couple that with a really solid roster talent-wise. I think that this could be an interesting game that could go either way. 
Then you play Arkansas. I think that this Arkansas game is going to be the second biggest game that Andon plays in the SEC this year behind that Alabama game. And the reason why I say that is because I think that Arkansas and Texas A&M are going to be the two teams who are going to be jockeying for second place in this division. And I think that Arkansas is a better football team than A&M. A&M may be better talent-wise, but when you look at the fact that you have K.J. Jefferson at quarterback, you already have a proven good quarterback, not just good quarterback, a great quarterback. He's one of the best quarterbacks in college football, so I think that's a plus. And on top of that, you have a really good offensive line. Now, Arkansas does have some concerns on defense, but you do have Barry Odom, who is well-respected amongst a lot of college football fans as a play caller on that side of the football. So the defense definitely should take a step up. So I think that that's going to be a really big game for Texas A&M. Then you have to play Mississippi State. Mississippi State, I think, is going to be pretty good. However, when it comes to being able to beat the Alabamas and the Texas A&Ms of the world, I think that Mike Leach and his offense are going to struggle simply for the fact that Mike Leach is kind of stubborn. I don't know why he just doesn't try to be a little bit more balanced. He kind of should adjust because if he could adjust, then his offense could be a little bit more unpredictable. But who am I to question the coach? You get what I'm saying? I'm just a guy talking about it. But then you play Alabama, and this pretty much is everybody's game of the year. It really it depends. Because if AM walks into this game with one loss, okay. But if AM walks into this game with a loss against Miami and a loss against Arkansas, are people going to have the same hype and excitement for this game compared to what they do now? Because the main reason why a lot of people have so much hype around this game is because of the back and forth sparring match that Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban had when it came to the NIDL and Nick Saban made some accusations that Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M may take too likely. So this game is a little bit personal. There were some jabs thrown on both sides, and Jimbo Fisher was really, really mad. I mean, the dude went off. And I got a lot of respect for Jimbo Fisher for how he stood up to Nick Saban. He pretty much said, I don't Nick Saban, I know you. I know where the dead bodies are buried. So... For Jimbo Fisher, man, I think that this game against Alabama is going to be really personal. However, this is a really good Alabama team. So this game is either going to go one of two ways. A&M is going to pull off a tightly contested upset. Or Alabama is just going to walk in and squash out. It's going to squash Texas A&M at home. It's either going to go one of two ways. I either see A&M winning in a close dogfight or... Or I see Alabama blowing the brakes off of A&M because this Alabama team is on a completely different level. And if Texas A&M, let's say they go into this game undefeated and they beat Alabama, then I definitely think that they have a great shot of being able to win the SEC. Now, I do understand that college football is really unpredictable. Some upsets can happen. But after this Alabama game, your schedule isn't all that difficult. Even though it's still in conference and you can't sleep on no other teams, but you don't really face too many teams after this that have the kind of talent that you have. You're going on the road to face South Carolina with Shane Beamer. I think that could be a pretty intriguing matchup. You got Ole Miss. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to replicate the season that they had last year. 
You have Florida year one with their new head coach, Billy Napier. You got to play Auburn, which I think Auburn is going to surprise some people. They're going to be a lot better than that five and a half win total that Vegas has them at. Really disrespectful. But we know that Auburn plays their best football when they get counted out. Then you play UMass, which is a gimme. And then you play LSU to close out the year. So for me, I think A&M is going to go 9-3. and three. And the reason why I say 9-3 and three is because... I just don't think the offense is going to be good enough to be able to win this division. And I do think they're going to drop a couple of games here and there. Now, I don't really know where those losses are going to come from, but does it really matter? You get what I'm saying? I just think that I just don't really know when it comes to AM, man. A lot of people keep trying to figure out what's holding back AM. And honestly, I think it may be Jimbo Fisher's play calling and the fact that he doesn't really know how to develop a elite college quarterback maybe max johnson or haynes king could be one of the guys maybe Connor wingman gets a start as a true freshman who knows but i just don't think right now a&m has showed me or given me a lot of confidence at least for what they have offensively to show me that hey we can go into tuscaloosa and upset alabama for a second consecutive year in a row i don't really think they have shown me enough that hey we can beat Arkansas I think that Arkansas and Alabama are definitely going to be two losses the third loss could come anywhere on the schedule but I have A&M right now at nine and three so are they overrated I wouldn't really say they're overrated but however I don't really think that Jimbo Fisher is as great as an offensive mind as people sometimes try to make him out to be. If you're an offensive guru, your offense should always be clicking. It's okay to have a couple of down years, but for Jimbo Fisher, I haven't really been all that blown away with the kind of offenses that he has produced over the last couple of seasons at AM. Now, you can make all the excuses in the world for him and say he's still building up this roster and whatnot, but I mean, come on. You feel me? At this point, it's really no excuses this year. So let me know how you guys are feeling about Texas A&M football down in the comment section down below. Now, I was reading an article on the NFL app, and it was talking about what teams could go from worst to first in their divisions this season. And you had the Broncos, you had a couple of other teams in there. But I think a lot of people are overlooking the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars behind the Denver Broncos have a really good shot at being able to go from last place to first place in their division. First of all, the AFC South is one of the worst divisions in the NFL. Only one team from the AFC South is going to make it to the playoffs. It's either going to be Jacksonville, Tennessee, or Indianapolis. And yes, I do think that Jacksonville has a, a legitimate shot at winning this division. And... A lot of people are going to laugh at that. Titans fans and Colts fans are going to get mad. But you got to understand something. Trevor Lawrence was drafted number one overall for a reason. And he got held back by a bad head coach and coaching staff. So now you bring in a proven winner in Doug Peterson. Somebody who actually knows how to manage a offense and knows how to win in the NFL. And for Trevor Lawrence, think about it like this. If Trevor Lawrence ends up peaking this year, which I definitely believe that he will, and he ends up progressing and improving, then the potential is that he could end up becoming the best quarterback in this division by the end of the season. So you look at Ryan Tannehill, 
And you look at Matt Ryan, you have Matt Ryan who pretty much is at the tail end of his career. And he's with a Indianapolis Colts team that is a little bit overrated. I think their defense is going to drop off slightly with the loss of their defensive coordinator and Matt Eberflus leaving for the Chicago Bears head coaching job. And then you don't really have a lot of weapons on offense. You know, it's funny because I was going back and forth with my guy Juice Alert. And he was saying how last year the Patriots weren't going to make it to the playoffs because they didn't really have a lot of explosive playmakers, right? Well, it's funny because the Indianapolis Colts don't really have a lot of explosive playmakers on offense outside of Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. So, I mean, they don't have too many players that are dynamic. They also don't really have great depth at wide receiver. So, for Matt Ryan, is he an upgrade from Carson Wentz? Yes, but I mean, at the same time, at least with Carson Wentz, you get a little bit of mobility. Is Matt Ryan's lack of mobility going to hurt him in the long run? Don't really know. But I think that Matt Ryan, that quarterback, gives you more consistent quarterback play. You have a quarterback who you can rely on in late-game situations. But I don't think Indianapolis is going to be all that great as some people. And then Tennessee, they have some questions on the offensive line. Also, Ryan Tannehill, he was pretty okay. But as I mentioned, if Trevor Lawrence ends up peaking this year, which I believe that he will, he's going to end up becoming the best quarterback in the AFC South. So right there, with you having the best quarterback in the division, that improves your odds tremendously. Now, the offensive line is not that bad. And I said it last year, and I'm going to say it again. I think the offensive line is decent. You have Cam Robinson, one of the better left tackles in the game. Ben Bartz is okay. Tyler Shatley, eh, okay. Brandon Sheriff has been one of the better or one of the best offensive guards in the NFL for over the last couple of years. Now, Jawan Taylor, uh, he's probably a lost cause. It's either going to be him or Walker Little who's going to be starting at that right tackle spot. Then you also have... Running backs, James Robinson, who right now he's injured, but he is going to end up returning at some time. And you have Travis Etienne. Now, Travis Etienne, I've already did a segment on him. Make sure that you guys go ahead and check that out. But to basically summarize my thoughts, I think that Jacksonville is going to use Travis Etienne in a bunch of different ways, not just as a pure running back, but they're going to line him up wide in the slot at wide receiver. He may return kicks and punts. So he's going to be heavily involved in the offense. Your wide receivers definitely don't give you a lot of confidence. But at the same time, I think that your receiving core at least has a little bit more depth than what the Colts have outside of Michael Pittman and Alex Pierce. You have Marvin Jones, who I think is a really good number two. However, he is the best wide receiver that the Jaguars had on the roster last year. You pay Christian Kirk a lot of money, and Christian Kirk is coming off the best season of his career with Arizona. He definitely could end up being a really good wide receiver one. Yin, then you have Evan Ingram. You got Dan Arnold at tight end. So, I mean, I mean, the offense doesn't have a lot of crazy weapons, but they do have more dynamic playmakers than, say, what the Titans and the Indianapolis Colts have. Because, let's be honest, the Titans have Traylon Burks, who we don't really know how good he's going to be because he hasn't played the game yet. And then you have Robert Woods, who's coming off a season-ending ACL injury. So, you have Jacksonville. 
The wide receiving core, I think, is on the same level as Indianapolis and Tennessee. Then you look at the running back position. Okay, you don't have running backs that are as talented as Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry, but your running back room isn't no slouch neither. Now, the offensive line is a question mark, even though I think it should be decent. However, Indianapolis does have a really good offensive line, and for Tennessee, it's to be decided. Now, defensively, it's probably where a lot of the concerns are going to be, okay, you look at Josh Allen, he's your best pass rusher. He's one of the better pass rushers in the NFL, former pro bowler. You improved the linebacker position. You got rid of Josh or Miles Jack, and you replaced him with Foyer Aluakon, who is coming off a pretty good season with the Atlanta Falcons. He's a really good run stopper. Then you drafted Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd in this past year's NFL draft. But I really like the talent and depth that the Jaguars have at corner. You have Tyson Campbell, who had a really good rookie season last year. A lot of people think about how good Patrick Sixtan was, but Tyson Campbell was pretty good in his own right. Then you actually Quill Griffin, who... He's up and down, but he was okay. And then you signed Darius Williams, who is going to be your slot corner. So I think that the Jaguars cornerback group is definitely pretty solid. At safety, Rayshon Jenkins, Andrew Sisco. Andrew Sisco does have some potential to be a solid starter in this league. Is he going to live up to that? We don't really know that much. But for Jacksonville, for any Colts fan or Titans fan just to look at Jacksonville and overlook them, I think you got to be a little bit naive because it's not if the Tennessee Titans and Indianapolis Colts are world beaters and not as if they both have some of the stack, some of the best rosters in the NFL. You know, their rosters do have some strong points, but they also have some weak points. And I don't really think that the gap between the Jaguars and the Titans and the Colts are as big as what a lot of people think. There are still people who believe that the Titans are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I would digress. I don't really think, I kind of think that the Titans championship window has passed in a sense. And I don't really like judging teams based off windows and stuff like that. I think it's a bunch of media nonsense. But I think that Jacksonville does have a legitimate shot at winning this division. And if Trevor Lawrence ends up peaking, like I said, he is going to peak. He is going to be really good this year. He's most likely nine times out of ten going to end up being the best quarterback in this division. So if that happens... The chances of Jacksonville winning the AFC South increases. And on top of that, you don't have Urban Meyer as your head coach anymore. You have a head coach who's going to have you better prepared. And you also have somebody who knows what it takes to win in this league. So let me know how you guys are feeling about the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I already know a lot of you guys are going to say that I'm tripping, I'm overrating Jacksonville. But I don't really think I'm overrating Jacksonville. I think that too many people are kind of overrating the rest of the other teams in this division, such as the Colts and the Titans. Because the Titans, you have a lot of questions at wide receiver. You don't have great depth there. And then for Indianapolis, you don't have great depth at wide receiver. You don't have a lot of playmakers in your own right. So let me know how you guys feel about the Jacksonville Jaguars' chances of being able to go from worst to first in the AFC South and 2022 a couple of days ago i did a poll on the channel i asked you guys does baker mayfield make the seattle seahawks a playoff team if he gets traded to seattle and surprisingly 76 percent of you guys on 500 votes said no and at first i was kind of taken back by this because 
initially, before I started digging in and really doing some research, I thought that Baker Mayfield made Seattle a playoff team. But now when I really look at the roster and the schedule in depth, I got to agree with you guys. Because here's the thing. I don't think that Baker Mayfield is a bad quarterback. I call him the taxi driver quarterback. And what a taxi driver quarterback is, my definition, is that they're quarterbacks that if you give them the keys, you give them a good offensive line, a great wide receiving core, and a legitimate running game, they could produce at a very high level for you. A good example of this is Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins. But with Seattle, if Baker Mayfield is to get traded there, which the rumors are indicating that there's a strong possibility of that happening, I don't really think that Seattle would be all that improved. Now, it would be naive of me to say that Seattle getting Baker Mayfield wouldn't make them a better football team because it definitely does. The difference between starting Baker Mayfield and starting either Drew Locke or Geno Smith. And even if you hate Baker Mayfield and you don't like him as a player and you think he sucks, I think you would just be a hater at that point to think that he isn't a better option and doesn't improve Seattle's chances of having a better season compared to starting Geno Smith and Drew Locke. So if you come in the comment section with that nonsense, I'm just going to scroll past you and ignore you because you're just hating at that point. You really, so if you were building a team and you have three quarterbacks to choose from, Juno Smith, Drew Locke, and Baker Mayfield, you're taking Baker Mayfield. And if you say any other of the two quarterbacks, then I know for a fact that you are a hater and you don't need to be nowhere near anybody's general manager position. You don't need to be nowhere near anybody's head coaching job. Got it? Okay. But their offensive line, outside of Charles Cross and Gabe Jackson, still a mess. And you would think over the last couple of years with the offensive line being the Achilles heel for Seattle, you think that they would have been had this thing fixed by now. But they don't. What are they doing in Seattle? I understand that you may not have the most money to spend in cap space because Russell Wilson was hogging up all the cap being a hypocrite. He's going to call you out for, you know, having a lack of talent on the off the line, but yet he's going to hog up all of the salary cap money, right? You know, I think the more logical thing would be is, okay, I want the off the line to be better, so I'm going to allow you guys to rework my contract so then you guys have a little bit more money a little bit more money to help improve the offensive line and I can get a little bit more protection. But hey, he's gone now. He's Denver's problem. But I just find that the biggest hypocrisy amongst NFL quarterbacks. They want help. They want the team to get this. They want the team to get that. But yet the team is cap strapped because the quarterback's hogging up all the money. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then you have some people saying, man, JT, it's Seattle's fault because they should have built the team around Russell Wilson's contract. How are you supposed to build around somebody's contract when they're taking a good portion of the cap? That doesn't make no sense to me. But the offensive line, it kind of looks like a disaster. You have Damian Lewis at off the guard, which he had a pretty okay 2020 campaign. But last year, he wasn't all that great. His play kind of went down a little bit. So this offensive line is still amongst the worst in the NFL. And by putting Baker Mayfield in this situation, 
I don't really think you do him any favors. Although you do have a really good supporting cast. And that probably is going to be what the argument is from Seahawks fans down in the comment section. You're going to say, JT, Joe Burrow went to the Super Bowl with the worst offensive line in the NFL. But yet he had a really good group of wide receivers. And I understand that. You have DK Metcalf, you have Tyler Lockett, Joe Burrow had T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. But you want to know what the difference is? Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield is Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is not Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is different. Baker Mayfield is a solid quarterback when he has help, but when he has to make up for inefficiencies on certain positions on the offensive line, and you're asking him to kind of carry the load in that department, you're kind of asking him to fail in a sense because Baker Mayfield isn't that kind of quarterback. He's not the quarterback that can still perform at a high level despite not having a great offensive line. You see, not everybody is Joe Burrow. It's a reason why Joe Burrow is the quarterback that he is. It's a reason why we hold him in so much high regard. A great quarterback can make up for certain inefficiencies that you may have at certain positions. But an average quarterback can't do that. And for Baker Mayfield, he kind of falls in that average category. So even if the off the line is bad, you are going to have a good amount of weapons for him to throw to, especially Noah Fan. A lot of people kind of overlooked Noah Fan in that trade, but I think that that was a big acquisition for Seattle. And for this defense, I think that this defense probably could be one of the best that Seattle has had in the last couple of years. And their defense actually somewhat turned the corner last year. Not enough people talked about it, but their defensive line is pretty good. You have pretty good depth there. I think your starters are pretty solid at cornerback. I like Kobe Bryant, rookie out of Cincinnati. He was the Jim Thorpe winner last year, which is awarded to the best defensive back in college football. You have Sidney Jones, who was, he was okay. And then you have Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. So this defense should be a really good unit. And I also can't forget about Jordan Brooks, who is now starting to come on as of late at linebacker after struggling early on in his career when he first got drafted to Seattle. So I think that Seattle... With Baker Mayfield, I think they probably go from a four to five win team to maybe they're able to pull off six, seven. But I still don't really know if that makes them a playoff team. Now, Seattle Seahawks fans are probably going to say, JT, we could at least contend for the seven seed. I mean, can you? I mean, your offensive line isn't that great. And that's really big because you're in a division with the LA Rams that has Aaron freaking Donald. You have to be able to make sure that you can protect your quarterback from him. So for Seattle, it's going to be a big difference between having a Russell Wilson back there that has all the mobility to kind of make a little bit more out of a bad off-the-line situation compared to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield isn't the magician that Russell Wilson is. He's not Houdini. So for Baker Mayfield, going to Seattle gives you a chance to start and prove yourself again. But I kind of think that if you had to choose between Carolina and Seattle, I probably would choose Carolina if I'm taking the coaching staff and the organization's history out of the equation. Because Carolina at the moment has a better offense 
talent-wise than what Seattle has. They may not have the talent that you have at wide receiver in Seattle, but you do have DJ Moore. You do have Robbie Anderson. You're going to have C-Mac back there when he's healthy. And Carolina has a better off the line, at least on paper, than what Seattle has. So if I'm Baker Mayfield, I probably have a better shot at being able to win more games in Carolina because with that offensive line, I don't really think Baker Mayfield is going to have all that great of a chance. So you guys let me know. Do you guys think that Baker Mayfield makes the Seattle Seahawks a playoff team? Let me know down in the comment section down below if you're watching this on YouTube. Has the Baltimore Ravens offense peaked under offensive coordinator Greg Roman? Now, Greg Roman has been the OC in Baltimore for the last couple of seasons. And you know, when he first got there, Lamar Jackson went crazy. He had that MVP season. And then they got upset by the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And then after that, the offense kind of has been a big criticism of many Ravens fans. Many Ravens fans feel that the offense is being held back by Greg Roman simply for the fact that he has been unable to improve the passing game. Many people say that his passing concepts are middle school level and that it needs to improve. And at first, you know, when people used to say that Greg Roman was holding back the offense, I used to strongly push back against it. Because I said, listen, Greg Roman was monumental in the development of Lamar Jackson. And if you're not going to give him credit for that, then you're just a hater. Because everybody knows in the NFL that some of the most important things when it comes to making sure that your young quarterback develops and that he's successful is making sure that you can get an offensive coordinator who knows how to utilize his strengths. And Greg Roman knew how to utilize Lamar Jackson's strengths because he's worked with quarterbacks that had a similar skill set in the past, such as Colin Kaepernick, please don't kill me for saying that name, and Tyrod Taylor with the Buffalo Bills. However, now that I start to think about it, I do think that it's fair to say that the Ravens offense kind of has reached the maximum potential that it can reach under Greg Roman. You see, Greg Roman has really phenomenal run schemes, and the run game has always been really good. Another thing that not enough people talk about when it comes to Greg Roman is that, of course, if you run the football the majority of the time, you're not going to throw the football that many times. So if you're not throwing the football that much, you don't have that many pass attempts, of course you're not going to have a lot of yards through the air. For the Ravens to have a top 10 passing attack, they would need to average 13 yards per pass, which would be absolutely insane. You get what I'm saying? That's unrealistic in a sense. So for Greg Roman, I think that you can make the argument for him holding back the offense, and you also can make the argument for saying that maybe Baltimore just needs to hire a better receiving coach, in which they did that. And on top of that, they also hired a new passing game coordinator to help improve the passing game. And another thing is that last year, you know, Greg Roman had two backup quarterbacks in Josh Johnson and Tyler Huntley balling out. Now, I know that they weren't balling out in the sense of, you know, they were anything sensational. But if you're viewing their performance, at least on a backup level, they played pretty well for backups under Greg Roman. So I kind of feel that the Greg Roman argument is a Swiss sword in a sense. 
because I think a lot of Ravens fans most of the time use Greg Roman as a scapegoat for why they lose games or why they're not able to have the kind of success that they want. But at the same time, the reason why I'm now starting to side with the majority of people who think that the Ravens offense has peaked under Greg Roman is because you got to remember, it is a passing league. You have to be able to throw the football at a really high level if you want to be able to win. Look at the San Francisco 49ers. Every time they've been to the Super Bowl or they went to the NFC Conference Championship game under Kyle Shanahan, they've came up short because Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't good enough to get the job done throwing the football through the air. As a matter of fact, a lot of people probably will agree with me and say that Jimmy Garoppolo kind of got carried in a sense, literally, because he didn't really have to throw the football all that much because the 49ers ground game was just so dominant. You go back to that year when they lost to Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Their run game was sensational throughout that playoff stretch. And even back to this past season, their run game was still very fantastic. Jimmy Garoppolo had to do the bare minimum. But when you ask Jimmy Garoppolo to put the ball in the air, he was unable to do it. So yes, you do have to have a good run game to keep defense off balance. But at the end of the day, your success and how many games that you win and lose is most of the time coming down to how effectively you can throw the football, especially when you get into the playoffs. Because the better teams that you face in the playoffs, the better teams that you're going to have that have really good defensive lines that are stout at stopping the run. And for Lamar Jackson, you know, he also deserves a little bit of blame because some of those losses he didn't really perform all that well in. And that's been a big knock on him is his performance in the playoffs, even though I feel that some of it has been unwarranted. Some of it has also been, you know, deserved. So for Greg Roman, I definitely do think that he is holding back the offense in a sense because he's not great when it comes to passing concepts. And Ravens fans make it seem as if he can just improve that. And you really can't. You get what I'm saying? Like, you are who you are as a person. So if I'm an introvert and I don't really like going to parties, I can't just flip the switch and just become just this social creature that loves talking to people, that loves being around people, because that's not me. kind of makes me uncomfortable. And for Greg Roman, he specializes in the run game department. Now, it's not as if the offenses suck on the Greg Roman like Ravens fans try to make it seem. The offenses are normally really good on the Greg Roman. Because of how dominant they are running the football. But if the Baltimore Ravens are ever going to want to be able to win a Super Bowl with Lamar, they're going to have to bring in an offensive coordinator that's a little bit more creative when it comes to the passing concepts. Because it's a passing league. And I love Greg Roman. He'll probably end up getting another job somewhere else with another quarterback that has a similar skill set because he knows how to get the most out of quarterbacks with those skill sets really early on into their careers. But at this point now, the Ravens need Lamar Jackson to develop more as a passer. And they need to put him in positions that gives him better offenses when it comes to throwing the football concept-wise. Now, for the Ravens personnel-wise, you're banging on Rashad Bateman becoming that number one wide receiver because pretty much... Greg Roman's passing attack revolves around a lot of tight ends, 
and probably one or two receivers. It's not a receiver-friendly offense, which was the main reason why Marquise Hollywood-Brown requested a trade from Baltimore and got traded to Arizona. He wanted to go to an offense that featured the wide receivers more. Now, we do have to talk about how many drop passes and how many drop touchdowns Marquise Brown had, but I think Marquise Brown was pretty solid during his time in B-more. He's coming off the best season of his career, and he kind of just wanted to be featured in the offense more that put a little bit more emphasis on the passing game. So, for Greg Roman, you know, I don't really think the Marquise Brown thing is an indictment on him, like how Ravens fans try to make it out to be. I just think it's more of an indictment of, you know, you want a player who wants to be in a more friendly offense when it comes to getting the wide receivers involved, and Greg Roman's offense isn't really the offense for that, unless you're a tight end, and that's probably a main reason why Baltimore struggles to attract big-name wide receivers in free agency. Because nobody wants to play for an offense that runs the football the majority of the time that is pretty much in the bottom of the NFL when it comes to passing attempts per game. So when you have a team that doesn't throw the football that much, yeah, if I'm a wide receiver, I probably wouldn't want to go there neither. But I do think that Greg Roman is holding back the Ravens offense in a sense because In today's NFL, you got to be able to throw the football if you want to have success. It's not the 90s. It's not the early 2000s. It's 2022, people. It's 2022. So let me know how you guys feel about Greg Roman. Do you guys feel that the Ravens offense has peaked under him? Is he holding back this offense? Let me know down in the comment section down below. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast on every single podcasting platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. And I will see you guys shortly with another episode.